If you collect emails and mobile phones from your leads, you'll want to reconsider your email marketing strategy. Since nearly 100% of the people that you send text messages to are likely to open them, in contrast, only 20% of your email recipients may read them. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyond Se Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market. And this is In Camera Podcast, and we opt in yes to text message communications. Marketing conversations. We are back as always. Grace and I are here ready to have another conversation. But first, Grace, how are you today? Good. How are you, Leo? I'm great, Grace. And I really mean it when I ask you how are you today because you've, you've been moving, girl. You're being all over the place, right? You, you've just come back from a conference in Denver. You're going to be going to Pilma next week. And just before we got into this conversation, you were just telling me about everything else that you have lined up. And, you know, I thought I was busy doing two conferences in one month, but you certainly are taking that to the next level. Yeah. Um, so it seems like September and October are just going to be travel months for me. Um, I came from, like you said, uh, a conference just recently. It was uh, in September, uh, about a week ago, actually now. Um, mm -hmm. And it was Contact.io. It was in Denver, Colorado. Um, very cool conference, uh, software kind of specific, right? On like communication software and that kind of thing. It's very cool. And then, yes, upcoming, I'm going to be going to Pilma next week where I'm actually going to be speaking Um, on data mining. And then right after that, I'm going to be going to Aspen to the Women and Mass, um, which is also a really cool conference where all female attorneys and vendors and people involved in mass torts, women involved in mass torts get to kind of meet and happens once a year. Um, very big conference, very cool. My first time going to that one um, personally, so I'm excited about it. Uh, and then right after, as we all know, mass torts made perfect. Um, that yeah. will be mid-October. Yeah, so, so that's the thing, right? For anyone who's trying to hear, keep up with the timeline, everything that Grace just said here is within a period of two weeks. So it's pretty remarkable. So Grace, that's actually very cool. And for our audience who've already started to putting together the pieces here, yes, next week is Pilmine. So that means that we will be recording an episode live from Pilma. And those episodes, we never know what to expect, right? They may be a little review of what's happening on the event. There may be some uh, impressions and takeaways. Like we don't necessarily have something already outlined for it, but they tend to be interesting because, you know, we're seeing each other and live conversations tend to just happen and um, evolve into different things. So that's great. Grace, now... I want to hear about your last week's conference because that's very interesting, right? It's not a conference that is specifically focused with a, or, you know, has a legal approach to it. It's more about technology and communications as a whole. So tell us a little bit about it. Who goes to those conferences and what was the center, the central topic or theme this year? 
So Contact.io, which uh, I found out that this is a conference that was kind of bought out, um, that had recently been bought out within this year. And it's kind of in what they told me was it's just brand new as Contact.io this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a conference that apparently leads and rolls up to the January conference of LeedsCon, which a lot of us know LeedsCon is one of the biggest like lead conversion, right? Contact kind of communication, all the software, everything for leads, right? In one place. So this was not legal specific at all. It was software, um, but there were some lead vendors there, right? Because these people need to feed what I call the beast of communication and right, right feed the leads. So yeah. there were quite a few lead vendors um, that were there and there were some S leads, lead vendors. So I oh, was, really, yeah, there were, um, it was about half of them uh, did mass torts. So, so wait one second. So, people buying there were actual lawyers or there were other agencies that do lead generation? Other agencies that do lead generation were there. That's amazing, Grace. Look. Yeah. I was able to get some contacts there to find new people that can provide us with mass tort leads. Um, Not cases, but leads, which is, you know, that's fine. Yeah, well, that's where it all starts, right? Exactly. That's where it all starts. And particularly that you brought up uh, your conversation on data mining, you buy leads in the shape of data pretty much, and then you need to do the mining. You cannot just expect that there are gonna be cases served to you on a silver tray. There is a lot of work that needs to be done from getting that raw contact details and translating that, driving all the way down to identifying whether there is a case there or not, and and if there is, pursuing it. Exactly. So um, I was definitely surprised, right? Because this is my first time at this particular conference. And it's the first time they've had this conference in a couple of years. Um, so the setup of the conference, I, you know how you and I are always complaining about uh, they don't care about the vendors, you know, they they don't give time to the people. To always walk, complaining, right? always complaining. If you if you ever come across Grace and I on a trade show, you will see us somewhere next to the coffee station or the water station or wherever wherever the refreshments are and it's just us yapping all day about how the conference is not taking care of us well enough exactly especially the more you spend right you're like you got to go pay to play well you know they set this up a very novel way that i've seen right especially not in legal um they allowed you to attend the conference meaning the exhibitors and people that were there had an app and you could say, I want to attend this, this particular seminar from 10 AM to 11 AM or whatever. Um, and it was all electronic, right? Obviously it's a communication software conference, so they have to be all, you know, techie, which cutting edge. Yes. It was so cool. I was making meetings with people through the app. I was setting up, uh, scheduling like the sessions I want to attend. And then, um, they notified everybody pretty much every time something was happening through the app, through push notifications. Um, and they didn't open the booth or exhibit hall until pretty much the middle of the day. They gave lunch out for everybody. And then they opened the exhibit hall in like the early afternoon. And so people actually came into the exhibit hall and the way the vendors were set up, it was um, not tons of vendors. There were I'd say maybe just the outside wall and then one main like section in the middle for the sponsor vendor. Yeah. But, but there wasn't tons of vendors and even our competitors were super friendly coming over to us, asking what we, us, what we do. We would ask them what they did. It was a very 
great setup for vendors, I have to say. Yeah, just, you know, as a side note to that, Grace, because I, I think I agree with you there. I think it's better to have a reduced hours of exhibit or whole um, availability than having it run and be open, you know, just be open from the moment the conference and the, and, and the, and the panel start until the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, you know, during the talks and panels, and so you would assume that most of the people are actually there. And so there is really not much happening on the exhibitor halls. Yet when you have a limited schedule, you create more momentum, right? And so I think there needs to be there a little bit of a fine line because also if you're very limited, you're you're not able to really touch uh, base with everyone who may really be interested in you. You may uh, experience a plug of people coming in and you're not capable of uh, serving them all if everything's happening in a very short period of time. But I think, you know, just reducing a little bit, just not making the exhibitor whole like it's there and you can go anytime you want because then it's also very uh, slow, right? I mean, the exhibitor hall just feels slow and it's not very exciting and vibrant. And so I think that kind of setup makes for the exhibitor hall to really feel uh, more kind of like as a sandbox, a sandbox, right? Where you can, you're hearing about all of this exciting stuff on the conference and now, you know, go and find the vendors who are actually making all of this happen or they're already embracing these technologies or they're already able to help you bring that to your business. And so I, I think that is um, a better way of, you know, creating the exhibitor whole uh, experience. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. All that was just to say I agree with what you're saying. No, but I like the way you explained it because that's exactly what happens to all of us, right? Where they, you know, they don't give you time to attend the sessions. Uh, you're stuck at the booth. And then, you know, there's like a million people coming at once, you're hoping, or they don't come at all, right? Because of the way it's the, uh, the flow is set up for the people leaving the sessions. Where here, the flow was set up for them to go directly into the exhibit hall as soon as the session was over and they wanted to. Um, yeah. And the, the really great part was I was able to attend sessions and I sat with people, you know, next to me and, and we would discuss a little bit about what the person was talking about, you know, like TCPA, can spam act compliance, all those things that, you know, we have to adhere to. Um, it was great to sit in on the session and just listen to another expert talk about it. Um, but also I was able to, discuss it with the people that are sitting there and knowing that they're interested in that particular subject too, guess what? They come to the booth because I'm sitting next to them, talking to them and creating a, a relationship. Yeah, of course. In the session. You're, yeah. You're, you're basically networking as an attendee, not just as a vendor from your booth. And that obviously has an enormous amount of value. So Grace, all this sounds great. Now let's talk a little bit about the content. What conferences, conversations, panels will you were you able to participate in, and what what are your takes? So this conference was uh, they went over a lot of the initiatives that are kind of going out right now. Not necessarily the stir shaken stuff that we talk about, but they were heavy because it's too new, or because yes, yes. okay, it really just got implemented by the FCC uh, as a requirement uh, maybe like a month ago. Honestly, mm -hmm. um, it's been out for a year, but it hasn't, they don't have the capability. And it's funny because we called, um, 
like our team called the FCC directly to find out how we're supposed to implement Stir Shaken for our clients, you know, with mm -hmm. the letter of authorization and just making sure that we're all compliant, right? And they said they don't have a central agency that can help with the stir shaken initiative and that it has to do with the individual providers. So yes, that's probably the main reason why they don't have, they didn't have that at this particular conference, but they did talk about robo dialing and robo calling and all the bad words that we hear in the legal world and really in the communication world, right? Where the spam text messages and the robo calls that people get. Yeah. And yeah. So they, they covered that quite a bit and compliance. Quite a also bit. known also known as the middle of the afternoon call saying that the warranty of your car is about to expire and you need to buy a new one, right? <laughs> oh, the worst is when you get those that they say you have a legal case with us and this, oh, is, yeah. this is meant for you. Yeah. You need to press one and click on this and, link so we can steal and, your information. <laughs> and for businesses, it's like your Google listing, right? They call and they tell you that your Google listing is about to 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 close um, expire expire i mean yeah it's it's bad it is bad it's bad and it's gotten yeah. worse right with covid everything went remote so yeah how many how how much has the robo dial and spam text message increased on your phone i mean just for yeah. you right yeah it's it's gotten bad it's got it's been seasons that it's been pretty bad so so what are they saying about all of these grades what's happening so, because people people no longer have trust on their phones. The reality is that people now are very skeptical about answering calls from unknown numbers, not just from calls that are showing up on your phone as potential spam calls, but any call that it's from an unknown number, and which is not a great thing, particularly for industries like like Mustard's lead generation, right? Because it it it's important to be able to callback leads that are submitting, that are leaving us queries through landing pages and such. How, like, what's the solution to all of this? So, you know, we've gotten into pretty interesting conversations over the last few years, really, but it's kind of culminated with this stir shaken thing, right? Um, about local presence, right? Um, a lot of people can call local presence when you call from an area code that is local to the individual. Now, we are quite uh, emphatic about local presence and not using yeah. it and not using not using or not not and okay. okay no why i'll tell you exactly why um two twofold one even just being in the legal field local presence unless you have a physical location in that city technically speaking it's a very gray area ethically it's mm. not correct truthfully because what is the the intent the intent of using local presence is to make you pick up the phone to make you think that I'm calling you from a local number. So if the intent is to defraud, and this comes from, you know, just our personal ethical feelings about using these phone right. numbers and, and marketing, particularly for legal, but really for anybody, um, if the intent is to make them think something other than what it is, that is ethically and morally incorrect. So that is the stance that we've always taken. Um, when it comes to local presence and we call it spoofing we don't call it local presence because that is what you're doing you're in you're you're putting a phone number that you don't actually while you may own it you don't have a location in that area code so with by calling and using it in that fashion to us it's with the intent to defraud so we consider it 
incorrect, uh, not ethically, morally correct to do. Um, whereas a lot of marketing and lead generation companies feel like it's a big deal. Um, and it's funny because we actually did a test where we, okay. one of our lead vendors, um, we told them, we absolutely know, I don't care what you do with others, but you cannot use local presence with us. Right. So turned off local presence. Guess what? The split AB test. No actual difference. Answer rates were the same. Yes. Wow. Yes. And, and what was the other number they were using? Was it, um, local presence numbers, the local presence number? Yes. And what was the, the other option was just what your, your standard number, your, their, your their, phone, their, actual, their, their phone number, their actual, wherever phone they number. were located. Yes. Okay. So oh, that's interesting. I, I would have expected that uh, local numbers would also have higher answer rates because of the same reason, but there you go. So it used I, to and, be. Yeah, but and, and that's what I'm saying, right? At this point, it's like you don't answer a phone, doesn't matter whether it's local or not, because you just don't know the phone, the, the numbers. So I guess it kind of like drills down to whether you will answer the phone no matter where the area code comes from, mm -hmm. and you or you just don't answer phone calls that and, and, and that's it. Now, my follow-up question to that is then what is the, so do you see now that companies and so are, are starting to build more on leveraging voicemails in order to really make that the, the, the messaging, like you're basically calling people just to be able to get to their voicemail. So yes and no, right. Where people have kind of, they're still going back to that voicemail drops. Um, where it doesn't even ring, right? Yeah. It just automatically drops in their voicemail. But I have found that that is also not necessarily a good uh, standard to or practice to follow. Why? Um, what I have found and what I, they did talk about this in their text messages. Text messages are still and probably the best way of informing them who it is that's going to be calling them. So yeah. if you're able to tell them your law firm is trying to contact you and this is a number, what do you do? You glance at your phone and you're going to see that and you're going to see your law firm's name or whoever it is trying to contact you. And then you see that call come through. Yeah. Chances are you'll answer it because now you actually know who it is. So I have found that texting somebody uh, before calling them and telling them to save that number to their phone so that they do know who it is has worked the best. And that to me has been the solution for this local presence and all these other problems that people are having when they see a call that they don't recognize. So is that already what your guys are doing in your sequence before a phone call is being made, you actually send a text message to the uh, lead, letting them know they will be receiving a call in X amount of time or within the next day or so. And this number is going to be the, and is a number associated with the law firm. And as a matter of fact, that's actually very clever, Grace, because smart devices like both Android and iOS would actually display now, whether they go ahead and save the number or not, and whether your telephone number is actually um, tagged with the name of your law firm, now the device is going to recognize from your text message that that text message was associated from a contact that is giving you its name there. And then, you know, when you answer your phone, sometimes you see maybe, and it shows the name of the potential contact. Uh, so that's, that's probably what you may be able to achieve through this. That's quite, that's very smart, Grace. Yes, we are doing that. And that's exactly why, because we have found that it's even better than that. What's happening 
they're not even waiting for us to call them. They just hit call back right on the text message. They literally click on the contact and say, oh my gosh, my lawyer is trying to call me. So they call you back within seconds of that text hitting their phone. And so it's it's actually increased the amount of inbound calls like so much so that we have to drip out the text messages yeah. before we contact them because they just flood inbound. At that and point. do you and do you still do an opt out on those messages? Like yes. after you're sending that first message, you're sending an opt out. It's in the, in the first message. It's in the first message. Always. Yes, always. That's a requirement. I mean, you don't regardless of whether they. I mean, they always ask, right? For the most part, all of our tech, all our leads and anybody we're contacting is double opted in. There's no like single opt. No, we do double opt ins. That's who, what the leads that we get, if we get any, or if we're pulling them ourselves, it means that they organically came to our website and filled out the form, and they asked for us to contact them. So there's always that, right? Just from the very beginning, it's always clean when it comes in. Now, every message that goes out has an unsubscribe. If it's an email, has an opt out. If it's a text. And if it's a phone call, of course, as soon as they say, do not call me, whatever reason, it's automatically opted out. And when they opt out of any of those three, they're opted out of all of them because we right. don't, we don't want any potential issues that, you know, a text would go out and they opted out of email, you know, and they opted out of uh, calls, whatever. We just blanket across the board, opt them out of yeah. everything. Great. You brought up here a term that I don't think we've used or we've mentioned ever in the podcast, which is very rare, but I think it's the truth and that's double opt-in. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the audience what double opt-in means? Yes. So uh, because we are in the legal field, guys, um, there's what you call opting in. Well, it's not just legal, right? It's marketing across the board. Yeah. For you to so and, solicit. And mm -hmm. Sorry, just, just, just to uh, add to it. And what you're explaining now in the European Union, it's mandatory. Yes, right, GDPR like you, compliance. Yep. Correct. I'm very comfortable so, with that. <laughs> yeah, you are. So go, go ahead and explain. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no problem. So um, there has been a movement for many, many years to protect people's data, right? So when somebody fills out a form and they say, yes, you are allowed to contact me for X, Y, Z, whether it's the, you know, a legal form or if it's, you know, you saying you can contact me for so solar panels on my roof, whatever it is, right? There's usually a checkbox at the bottom that says, I am consenting to you contacting me for this reason. Now, there is, that's called a single opt-in. That is you checking a box saying, yes, I want you to contact me. A double opt-in is when you say, yes, you can contact me. And then you get an email asking you to confirm email, text, or, you know, call for you to confirm that you want to opt into this messaging service, messaging from these people, whatever it is that you filled out, they're confirming it. That is a double opt-in. Did that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Absolutely, Grayson. And let's just differentiate, right, between when an opt-in is required and when it is not required, right? And you'll, and you'll, you know, Grace, jump in here. Opt-in will be required when you're intending to use those contact details for purposes outside potentially of the original reason why the lead is reaching out to you in the first place. So if you're going to marketing them outside of what they are initially reaching out to you for, then that's 
that needs to be uh, accepted. If you're going to reach out to them back because they've sent you an inquiry and they want more information about something and you're strictly going to contact them about that, then you're good, right? Because this is a personal communication that you're having with them of an individual to them. The moment that you start sending them more so promotional material that can be classified as unsolicited, then the opt-in is kind of like your uh, pre-approved authorization to send those communications. So when they say, uh-uh, I do not want to receive this, you can say, oh, fair enough, we're not going to be sending them to you anymore, but you did authorize us to send it to you at some point. So that's kind of like basically just covering your ass. Exactly. CYA all across the board for everything. And that's what the double opt-in is for us because... But but do you, I mean, are we both on the same page about when do you do need a, a double opt-in and when you are okay to contact a lead or a client or uh, a contact uh, without necessarily them having opt-ins? Because you can have clients that are not opt-in to your marketing. Correct. Correct. 100%. And that's, and that's fine. Yes. And that's, and that's perfectly fine. Now, you know, what most businesses nowadays do is they add their opt-in somewhere in some of the transactions, documentations, or whatever, and 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 that's how they get opt-in. Now, double opt-in is, as you said, it's more transparent from the standpoint that you are letting them know, hey, you know, you're you're in you're in our uh, contact list, and you'll be receiving messages, but you're only gonna receive them if you actually confirm here through this email that you that you're okay with that, and. And that's really the best practice. That's uh, considered the, the you know, the gold rule when it comes to uh, GPDR compliance. Right, and then, you know, in in when so Liels keeps referring to GDPR compliance, and in, in the European Union, they require you to be not just any data that you're collecting about somebody, you should be able to download it, send it to that person and delete it mm. if they request. Right. So that is, you know, super strict compliance over in the EU. And if you operate anything in the EU, you have to have that as part of your website, part of any of the communications you send out. So any data that you collect on somebody, that is the requirement over there. Um, you know, I did import export law. So we had websites in um, different countries that we had yeah. to comply with it. So, um, you know, we don't have that here. However, we do have obviously solicitation requirements, marketing requirements, not just in legal, really across any business, right? You, yeah. When it comes to texting, emailing, or any of that, you can't uh, solicit somebody unless they opt in to a communication, at least yeah. single opt in. Yeah. So, was there any conversation going around? Uh, Potentially, any upcoming regulations on that things have their. So there, they they did. They talked about the whole robo dialing, and they briefly mentioned, um, you know, the stir shaken initiative, like in terms of that, um, because there's a lot of small, uh, phone number providers that are gonna get a little, um, I think, thrown by this, right? Because uh, a lot more phone numbers are coming up as unknown or likely spam, and um. It's it's since there's not quite a central uh, place for these people to go and get a certification authority from somewhere where it's the FCC, FCC or something, it's all up to the individual providers. So they they did talk a, very briefly about it. 
kind of off of the seminar topics that were there because um, they were pre-established, right? And since Stir Shaken is so kind of new, they did this about a year ago where they came up with the agenda topics and all that. So they did focus on robocalling and TCPA and compliance and texting and, you know, trying to be as compliant as possible. They even had a company that did reputation management. Um, and which, you know, you and I both know quite a bit about that because, you know, you yeah. have to branding and all of that. So um, they run your company through reputation, you know, making sure everything's clean out there and that you don't, you're not seen as like a robo dialer because there were a lot of call center companies there. And so they, you know, for them, it's a big deal. They need to know that they're not being, not literally not coming up as spam, especially if they're buying phone numbers from someone else and they're not the right. actual provider of the numbers as a call center. So it, it was a very interesting uh, conversation when it came to all of the components that go into making a phone call, having it actually answered because it comes up accidentally might come up as an unknown number or a blocked number yeah. or whatever, especially with the iOS, uh, iOS updates to Apple because Apple is now blocking. And if you have it active, of course, Apple can block calls that are unknown or with numbers that don't, you know, aren't tied to an actual company. Totally. So yeah, great. That was a big conversation. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about iOS updates and how that can impact marketing as a whole. But I guess we'll leave that for another one, Grace. So it's time for our takeaways. Grace, send us off with some good three takeaways that you feel after attending the conference, you are ready to implement for yourself and to share with the rest of the world. So um, after the conference, I think it really helped me kind of put together all anything having to do with communication in terms of compliance, right? Cause they really hit that hard um, considering all the issues that we've been, all been having with uh, COVID and these robocalls that were texts that we're getting. Um, so I'd say the first takeaway for me was um, just when you take a look at your current phone system, who actually provides your phone number um, and make sure that call yourself from your phone from your business phone, from your company phone, and check that the number comes up as a compliant number that you actually, your law firm is showing up as that number on the caller ID. Call your, call an iOS phone, call a, a, an Android phone, make sure that it comes across on the phone the way it's supposed to. I know that sounds so simple and tiny and dumb to some, but you'd be surprised um, how many times I call my own numbers at least once a week for all of the businesses that we have. Why? Because you never know. Sometimes uh, a connection may have been lost. Uh, you don't know exactly how it shows up. Luckily, we, we basically migrated all of our numbers into Teams. So for us, it's very easy to see all of the information in one. But a lot of these older firms that have had these numbers forever don't even know where their phone number resides. So I would say call yourself Make sure that the phone number shows up the way you anticipated. Um, call your cell phone, check it out, call an iOS number. To me, that is the first takeaway. Check all your phone numbers that you have that are out there and make sure that they show up the way you think they should show up. Yeah, that's actually a great point, Grace. Very, very good one. What else do we have to... Um, I'd say number two would be try texting first. Um, I think that that would help a lot of people. Instead of calling, leaving a voicemail, or even doing voicemail drops, send them a text first. Um, you'd be surprised at 
what the increase of the uh, callbacks will be. It's quite large, actually. Uh, I find yeah. that, yeah, it's it's been great. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a really good tip, Grace. There. Yeah. Do you and just you know very briefly? I know this could be this could lead to a whole new conversation. But any advice on how they should do it? Should they actually send these text messages from um from from their phone, or or these messages need to be sent out from a platform that, as you were mentioning, need to have an opt out uh, option? Do platform. Do not mess with. I mean, there's tons of of things out there. I mean, obviously you guys know persist does texting too, but there's tons of things out there that if you don't want to use persist, use something that is actually a system that saves it in your CRM or your case management software so that you can always refer back to that text message without having to dig through something and then hope that somebody responded the way they're supposed to. And particularly because of opt out. You guys are, everyone, we're in legal. You have to have your opt-out and you have to have that information on the message. So make sure that you use a system. Do not, uh, and I know everybody wants to have it to their cell phone. You can, you can accomplish that by using a system. It can forward it right to your phone. And if you reply using that phone, uh, you can have an app. You know, again, there's there's a million ways of doing this. If you need help, you know, reach out to us at, um, you know, Nanato uh, on our Ask at in camera podcast reach reach out, reach to, out to grace directly guys <laughs> <laughs> reach, if you if you reach out to me and you're asking me about how can i receive my business text messages in my cell phone i think i'm gonna have to send you to grace so <laughs> definitely definitely take yourself a short code reach out to grace directly but that's actually a very good point grace yeah so i think the last one here and I'm going to dare here to take it away from you, but I think you'd agree that is um, use opt-in models when uh, getting contact details in from whether these are leads, clients, and whatnot, if you're planning on marketing them. I think a great way to do that is also by reviewing your uh, privacy policy on your landing pages, when first submissions are, there's... Um, a lot of ways that you can actually do it. But I think, you know, the expectation and moving forward, the trend that we're seeing is that we're going to probably be expected to be more transparent about it and stop limiting it to be small print somewhere hidden in a section of the page that nobody sees. So it seems like it's coming. And if it's not already here, probably it's already here. So that's going to be a takeaway. What do you think about that one? Uh, a million percent, right? I mean, for me, it's always about being transparent. If you actually read the uh, ABA handbook on marketing for the different states, right? I read the one for Florida because it has some of the most stringent mm -hmm. laws, right, for PI attorneys. If you read it, they tell you the most important thing is to not defraud your client. Right. And so the best way you can do that is by communicating to them in the fashion that they want you to communicate to them, but also making sure that you're making sure that they know what you're going to communicate to them. It's about communication. So for them to know that there's a giant box that says, I am consenting to communications from you as a law firm that they can check and they know they're checking it. It's not hidden and it's not put dug into somewhere on the bottom where they, okay, you're consenting automatically. No, make it a checkbox. Make sure that these people are very clear on what you're going to be communicating to them about and how, because I want it, I want that for me. You know what I mean? So yeah. I do what I want for me for the clients. And I think that that's the most important thing is to treat the clients the way you want to be treated. That's right, Grace. That's a great end message.
for us to put an end to this episode. And we'll be back next week. Next Live week. from Pioma. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, that's going to be fun. So safe travels, Grace, and I'll see you soon. Take care. You too. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.